We're going to right now get into a teaching which has been kind of tracking along for now the third week concerning the heart that David had for, obviously, the Lord. And then last week, the Lord's heart, obviously, for David. And where does that leave us right now? Pretty much precisely where we have found it to be true, we just cannot stop wanting to respond because he has inspired us. So if you would, we're going to be in Second or First Chronicles right now, and I'd like you to pick it up in chapter 22 to begin with, and we'll move from there. And we'll see if we can keep this just on the devotional side. There are <clears throat> some announcements that I'll make prayerfully closing the service off. And if I miss them, then uh, you can check our website to find out what activities are going on. All right? In chapter 22, David said, This is the house of the Lord God. So First Chronicles chapter 22 this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. When he's using this terminology, it implies one thing that is not necessarily his reality at that time. And what do we know? The tabernacle was all that David knew. That's what had been ordained and given by command from God to Moses, and it was a structure as a tent. And so even if you took what would be the regulation of measurement and the particular articles in which it was constructed, if you had seen it, you would have said, oh, that's a tent. And in the things that you would have seen about it, you would have said, oh, well, that's a sturdy tent. It had poles that were pounded into the ground, and it had lanyards that on each pole would be staked in to draw taut the tent and its covering. It would have been to our eyes, critically, just a fine tent and not much more, except that there was activity going on that centered around this tent, and it was a spiritual activity of worshiping God and to acknowledge his presence. It was not difficult to acknowledge his presence because in the times of Moses, it was evident through a cloud that would hang above the tabernacle and a pillar of fire that also would dispense warmth and light above the tabernacle. The reason that that was important was so that they would be comforted in knowing the presence of God, plain and simple. It's one thing to have a tent and go, oh, that's comforting. That's if you can come in and out of it based on your need. But this wasn't just a tent that you could walk into. It was a holy tent. And there were only certain people that could actually go into that tent to be able to live, to come out of that tent. They were ministers. So there is some distinction important to understand there. 
Why then is David talking about what I am sharing as if it is a house? Well, here's what I believe is being said. When you believe less about something because of how it looks rather than the best about what it represents, you've slighted God. That can happen with you and I. We can look at the tents of other people and say, hmm, looks like a tent to me. Why, it doesn't even look all that impressive to me. And it doesn't even look like it has precision in how it's been erected. My tent's better. I do a better job with tents. And in fact, my tent is so good, it is also my palace. But theirs, it is a tent. That is simply visualizing at times what people can think. And David didn't think that about this particular tent called the tabernacle. And David did not think that way about people either. He was a shepherd. It's interesting because we see him as a warrior and as a king. Why is that fascinating? Because usually it's difficult to be both of two different kinds of natures. To be a combatant, a warrior, an aggressive man that could swing a sword, who could fire off a rock from a slingshot, who could run and not be caught, who could attack really from any side. David would have been an impressive warrior and one that had you seen him, you would have respected him on the merit of him being able to take you out fairly quickly. The shepherd, though, in David, was able to distinguish those who did not need to be extinguished. He was very careful in his adjudication on what was required of him as a warrior and what was required of him as a minister. There is a direction I'm going with this. David right now is giving us his heart by saying what is something to others is something far greater to me. It's the house of God. You know, we have an opportunity to come into this place, and it can be compared to many other places. I would not doubt greater places in the eyes of men. But I know where we came from. But I will tell you that from where we came from, this became a palace. But I will tell you that when we came into Seascape, that was a palace. It was, to me, whatever it was I desired to honor God in saying. Many of you remember Seascape. How many remember Seascape? Big glass building, 30-foot high roof. It was industrial. You would not have been able to tell me back then that it was not extraordinary. We did a lot of things to make what was ordinary to others extraordinary to us. And you could bring pictures to my mind, and you could say, you got to be kidding, Rich. Look it. You use styrofoam to block off some of the glass. You call that extraordinary? I thought it was totally witty at the time. It was awesome. I was able to find something that could be an acoustic barrier for the sound that was projecting in this cathedral glass house. I was able to block off distractions of people that would come by and pretty much just <laughs> in the glass house let us know what they were doing on the other side of it. It was an awesome solution. 
There were things there that I believe the Lord allowed us to celebrate in what others might have said common material, not extraordinary material. You missed a spot where you painted. Did you really choose that color? Why is there foil on one side of this foam and it's pointed towards the outside? Why can't we have the shiny side on the inside? I heard all of these things. You call this a restaurant serving pancakes from those things to these men? I can't camp too long on this. But to the day that we knew that we would have to move in January on the 18th, receiving a letter that said that we would need to be vacating, it was everything and more to us. We had men gifted in so many different crafts, but in particular electricity. And I had men that on the last about three, two months, were up on a scaffolding 30 feet high, putting in lighting so that we'd have greater light in that place because I believe that's what the Lord wanted, greater light. Only to realize we only got to use it maybe twice. 20, I don't know how many lights. I'm Craig, can you help me how many lights? It was like 20 lights, something like that. Okay. And all of a sudden we enter into a place and look at the lights we have now. So this is all coming into right now, just dialing this in. Where are you at and where you believe the Lord's at? And have you diminished in your heart his worth and what he takes delight in? He actually took delight in the tabernacle. And David knew it. David had also been reminded in one of our just previous teachings, and the one that I believe one thing have I desired of the Lord. He knew that God, through the prophet Nathan, had not required anything from him at all. That what he did in bringing his presence before the children of Israel was a token. And he was as thrilled in what we would call just that basic token of a tent as he was with David's heart to build something extraordinary. And in all these things, I believe that our hearts need to be set or readjusted. Am I making too little of what God says he's absolutely thrilled about? Have I undermined the mind of God in he being a creator he being one who also knows how to mature the believer in the exercise of gifts and talents. One of the things that I want to share with you is that it was always my heart to come back into this place. But three months, practically, it wasn't on another level a heart of the particular protocols that we had to follow. So when there had been a change, it was evident to me, we come. We come just as we are. We come in faith. If you can't make it, then I'll see you on that little lens that's hovering on a pole. And I also want you to take notice of this. If you haven't, we went finally from the iPad that was over there to a projection that was 
pointed straight and could bring all of this in. Do you remember last week you did an iPad there? Okay, that was the best that we could do. That was the best that we could do with what it was we had. And within four or five days, I summoned our technical crew. <laughs> Who's that? He's not here. But when he was summoned, he, with some others, put their minds and their hands and their hearts to work. And they were burning the midnight oil just to make something happen on this end of it. Why? I believe this. God's into his word being broadcast, webcast. I don't believe he's so much into me being projected. It just is the consequence of what I do right now. But I believe that when in this house, from that vantage point, this stage could be seen filled with the next generation, you've got to go, my word. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, and yeah, and nobody was holding back. They were all up here. And someone out there saw that, perhaps losing hope. Do we have anyone that can help out for our future? And you saw them. I saw it. That's why I went there and moved away from the mic zone. I wanted to see what it was you guys saw. Impressive. Getting back to this. How is it that we then are to have a heart that like David is both with a warrior spirit on what we are to do, how we are to be, and yet also as a worshiper of God in which we must not confuse the two. We can't confuse the two. David was not critical of the things of God nor the people of God. He was compassionate and merciful, desired to take care of them as best as he was able to, knowing that God was even more able to. But I believe it started because his heart was right from the beginning, and he allowed himself to be corrected in the interim periods of following the Lord. Even to the degree that when Nathan told him what God had said he could not do, he didn't get discouraged. He took courage, and he then implemented vision. That's really where we're at right now. If you were wondering where this was going, it's that he said in his heart and began to plan for the implementation of a house of God, not simply the tent of the tabernacle. And the reason for that is because he never just said, that's a tent. That's just a tent. Ah, that's just seascape, glass, steel, concrete. And where did you get this stuff? Goodwill for Pete's sake, Rich, can't you do better? No, I did the best that I could, but I saw God do better. Year by year, six years there, year by year by year as what was old, what we took, became translated into what we could afford and what God allowed to be given. To where even in this year, number two, you have chairs that you didn't have at Seascape. You have surround a sound. You didn't have that at Seascape. Some may say, we want to go back to the cathedral sound. It sounded like a shower. I sounded better. No, you didn't. You sound way better now. 
Trust me on that. You don't go back. You go forward. And you go forward by saying, this is not a tent. These are not simply tent dwellers. These are holy people of God who have giftings from God, who are a blessing to me. And that was David's heart. He didn't get bitter on what he couldn't do. He became a planner on what still would be done with whom? The generation that you saw right now. The reason that last night was so impressive is that fathers and mothers were basically saying, oh, it's happened so fast. We have to let you go. And we all, I think, determined in what we were sharing is, that, no, it's not that we have to let them go. We let them be released into the tender care of God. They were on loan. We give them back to God. And we say, thanks for the memories. And by the way, as you travel, remember us. And that's the way I think that fathers and mothers were touched last night. It really was. When the whole thing was over, everyone that I talked to said, I've never seen anything like it. We've all been involved in three-hour events. Those are normal Sunday teachings for me, right? But this was something extraordinary. And so capture that heart now. And what may be for you, what is it that I do next? Be a planner. What do I do then? Implement. How so? By taking notes. What is God asking you to take notes on for the vision that you indeed will have every right to rejoice in as it unfolds? What? In your future, but behind you to the generation that's going to do it. We can't forget about them. And even as I gave charge of that generation last night, they ought not forget about us. The road that they travel has been paved by what? The footsteps of faith that we've walked. The mission experience that I had down in Mexico in 92 through 98 and other years also added to me other men and their wives and their children had padded to make it easier for me. And I say that also because um, there's a couple here that have the privilege of, again, just brightening up my day. We, I believe, have done the same. But Jeff and Corrine Moody, can you raise your hand just really quickly? Uh, they, I thought I was an old-timer at the mission. How many years did you guys have down there, Jeff? 18 years. Okay. So that makes my six, eleven, eight, whatever it was, very small. But not less than, different than. That was their call. And so they saw changes that were, again, from the point where I left off forward. And Andrew was down there with them. Many that are here knew them down there. How many of our 20-year-olds knew Jeff and Kareen when they were down there? Or visited, yeah, right back there, yeah. And so what I'm saying is, these guys, where they came from, I never heard them talk about the things of God as, it's just a tent. Their life down in that place was because to them, it was a big giant temple 
that was being constructed, one stone at a time. For every person that came in, they saw those giftings. And by the way, if I can say this, Jeff was very instrumental. If, you've, if you go down to the mission, and we'll probably do it again when this whole thing, the COVID passes, but there's actually a chapel that's being built there that was a result of the vision that Jeff uh, and I believe Miguel had. I think Jeff had that put on his art many, many years before. Am I right on that, Jeff? Yeah. And it's a beautiful work that is still waiting to be completed because as a visionary, he said, huh, I may not be able to do everything, but I can start something. And that's what we want to be here expressed in what David is saying now. He's speaking future language as if he's living in it in the now. This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And it continues to say, as you move through this, all of the things that David went with all of his heart in pursuit of to put in place the things that were eternal. He never saw things in the temporal. He really never believed anything other than the exacting words of God that through his life and his lineage, the Savior would come and ultimately his legacy would be satisfied. He didn't know that Solomon, in a failure in his time as king, would begin a lineage of other kings failing as well in which a judgment would be required upon Israel. And it pretty was, it was very much a tragedy in terms of how kings could have lost the vision. Why didn't they hold the vision that David had? And we don't have per se an answer except it can happen to you and I as well. All you have to do is start griping about your circumstance now failing to pull out your pen and begin scribing on that paper what God is telling you to do and that you will do so faithfully in the discharge of that vision. In verse 5, it tells us that he was a thinker insofar as it's saying, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly, notice this, magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. And so that's been actually very inspiring on me lately. Just the tenure, not as young as I once was, closer to where the scriptures say, I will be. But do I have a heart like David to say, young and inexperienced, but I'm backing them. I'm behind them. Young and experienced, not yet tested in the world, but we have to say, we're prayerfully backing them. We're believing in them. I didn't see one person that came up here that looked as though they had an ounce of doubt in their eyes. Did you? I didn't. In fact, if anything, there was a little terror thing. I don't think they're going to give me the stage back. I think this is a takeover. They've got things to share. 
I'll see if I can appeal just out of being an ancient one and the respect that they might have. They're enthusiastic about their lives. Thank you, parents. Because of them coming up here, I can tell that you're doing what you need to do, encouraging them to be courageous, to be devotional, to be respectful, to be trusting in God for their future. David was able to say that concerning Solomon. And he was going to, before he died, have things in place and in the ready. If you turn over quickly to uh, chapter 28, picking this up, 19, all-time favorite verse, all-time favorite verse. I would encourage it to be one of your all-time favorite verses because you have been tabernacle dwellers, but you were also temple dwellers because you are prayer warriors, combatants on the offense for the things that God wants to accomplish. You are no less ministers. You are both sensitive and strong, humble, and yet I would also say boastful in what you can do with God who can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengthens you. You can. He does. And so in verse 19, 1 Chronicles 28, we've zipped over quite a bit. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand. I don't understand. This tells you all this, David said, the Lord made me understand. Your understanding will come from the Lord who gives you understanding. And he says this, in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. In another version, it's all the details. He's got all the details worked out. Pen to paper, knees and prayers to heaven. And God will faithfully answer you in the things that relate to what he wants to accomplish through you. And at the same time, as David was so impressed with God for you, it is both to accomplish things in you through you and for you, that you can really say, God would do something for me. God will do something for you. Have you forgotten what he's done for you? And if he has forgotten, how could you possibly then have hope? See, chances are, the fact of the matter is, we've forgotten. That's why when we take communion, he says, do this in remembrance of me. When you do this in remembrance of me, I will jog your memory on the things that I continually perpetuate for good in your life because I love you personally. I love everybody, but I love you personally. It's a personal love that God has for each one of us that he signatures on the things that he wants us to accomplish in him before we, what, die. Preparatory to the next generation. We had a father that last night was sharing impromptu, not a part of this fellowship, but because of his son that we invited to be a part of the graduation, he was sharing insights about how the Lord had touched his heart as a younger man, that he felt he was called into the ministry, but he hedged. He didn't move forward to another step, perhaps. You could see a little bit of questioning as to if he missed the calling, but at the same time, he came. He was also at our men's breakfast on Friday. 
because his son, a next generation guy who was persuaded by the next generation 20 year olds was invited to come and he came. He's going to be a military man in 88 days. Was that the word? His name's Manny. He's back there. His full name is Emmanuel. Isn't that cool? God with us, Manny with us. Well, God can't come like Manny. Why not? God came and many were saved. Manny came and his sisters were here. His father was here speaking the language of scripture, though I sensed he had been disappointed in things in his life. He was here boasting in the Lord. It was pretty amazing. We saw generational work last night. Very amazing. So this is something that I want you to take to heart so that you don't lose heart. Very, very important. David was able to say with certainty, this is that which God has communicated to me, and I will see it through before I pass on through to the other side. The preparations for the next generation, and it is done in this place, in the house of God, being seen as those who pray, being seen as those who extend the right hand of fellowship, being those who bear testimony to others whom we work with. I hear you. I've been there. I can't fully relate, but I know someone who can. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Oh, may I suggest that that is the critical next step in your life so that you don't step one footstep more and have a consequence. And this young guy back there, Manny, we can trace his lineage all the way back through sports with a lot of our young kids. A lot of our young kids that are now the adults that we're sending out, they knew him when he was one of them. And all of a sudden now he's one of us because someone over there who's in their 20s continued to invite and he stepped into that invitation and was impressed with whom? Jesus, through whom? This next generation, our young college age, our young high schoolers, devotional, prayer warriors, and also sensitive and compassionate ministers. So cool. 29, furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Okay. He said that before. It's being said again. That is not a criticism. It's simply a fact. Young and inexperienced. Take your youth, as I gave charge last night, and be courageous in it. Just don't be foolish as a result of it. Inexperience does not have to mean failure. It means that what you do in the place that you do not have yet that knowledge base, you entrust yourself to God and to those whom God has given you, if you would, a mission with, a subordinate role alongside. You respect your elders. God's first. You respect those who are training you, developing your character. And David is not putting down his son. He's rather saying, this guy's going to need help. 
this guy's going to need the experience that you have and the heart that you have. And I've seen that in you. And that's what I want you to do. As if it were me, I want you to do it for them. That's a great way to live, isn't it? What you would do for me, do for them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And also, at the same time, hey, what you would do for me personally, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a friend, do to those who are my children in the faith. I have children, they are in the faith, but I also have their friends, which have become, to some degree, adopted into our family. Have you ever adopted kids into your family? Do you realize how many of us have adopted the same kids? Do you realize how confusing that could be if it wasn't for God? I don't know who my parents are. They all love me the same. <laughs> and you will see them from table to table to table, home to home to home, and you will see a generic feeling that they belong in the home that you're overseeing because you're connected with God and as brothers and sisters. There's very little distinction between what we do with them and what they do with us. That's next generation thinking. David is simply saying, in the inexperience right now, in the youth, it's not counted against them. It's laying down the facts. Pray for them. Pray for him. Now for the house of my God, verse 2, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and of silver. I close simply saying this. The Lord had touched David's heart that if this was something that he would be planning and preparing for, it was going to be exceedingly marvelous. David didn't do it for himself. He did it for God. And therefore, one of the most important things you have to see in this picture is that you are those precious stones. Oh, we could go out and buy things from a lapidary store. We could go to probably Tidewater and get some boulders and spray paint them and polish them up. But the Lord's saying you are that precious work of stone being fitted together for my temple that I'm building. So thank you for doing Thanks for rolling in here. You are the rolling stones. They're going out. You're coming in. And thank you for being that way. And by the way, far prettier than they are. No offense, but they've been given a lot of grace by God. <laughs> they need help. They need Jesus. I don't think they have him yet. But we need to pray for the rolling stones because you guys are living stones. And they'll be soon finding a headstone. They need prayer. You're precious stones. But not only that, God values you as much more so than what David put together. So don't forget your proper placement in this place. Together, where God says you are a treasury. Awesome are you. And great things I will do through you. Continue to just pray for this work.
I, I so remember everything about it just coming into a dark hole and now it's brilliantly lit and painted. We've got pictures, we need to post those, what it once looked like, what it does look like. Plastic chairs, you've got cushion chairs. It's just awesome. And thank you for being a part of that. We're going to pray right now, asking the Lord to bless us in this devotional thought. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that shall I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and that I may build him a house. Oh, David, one thing have I desired. God speaking to you, David, I want to build you a house, because I see your heart. David hears that. Oh, Lord. One, one more thing that I desired. Just one more. Can I, with everything that I've got, be given time and resources to do it, to do it as unto you and for my son and his generation. And God says, glad you asked. Get busy. Do it. <laughs>